Okay, so this is part two of Joshua. We had a friend over this week and, uh, called Jill Lewis. She goes to St. Mark's in Bristol. She's very shy, really, but she's lovely, really nice. And um, she said that she goes swimming occasionally just to de-stress and relax. And the other day she went swimming and there's one of the people there at the pool that's quite kind, quite nice, often just kind of chatty. And she just felt when she saw him, talk to him about Jesus. So she went and swam and then came out thinking, do I live with the embarrassment that that's going to cause and the difficulty if I look stupid or do I live with the guilt that I never did it because actually I'm answerable to God? So she thought, I'll talk to him. So she just went up when he was free and said, um, excuse me, I just wanted to tell you that God really loves you. And he sort of said, oh, fine, yeah, that's okay. And he said, no, 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 I mean it. Listen, God really loves you. And that was it. She just then went home. Because what has struck her in the week is that we are responsible to sow the seed. The seed has the life in it. We're not responsible for bringing the life. And nor are we responsible for the soil. But we have to sow the seed. And she just so encouraged me. (laughs) I thought, bless you. And I want to encourage us to be as bold in whatever small things may be God calls us to do. Anyway, rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be a people of conviction, courage, and passion who proclaim and serve him in all of life. Uh, Anyone heard that before? Good, great. Well, we're looking at privilege and responsibility um, as part of this series. And so last week we looked at... um, Joshua's call, his start in life, if you like, from when he was a young man, uh, before we get to the book of Joshua. So we started sort of 40 years before then. And and at the very start of the service, we also read the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, which was the kind of handover of the baton. And this is a part of it, which I said last week. Take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day, so you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law, They're not just idle words for you, they're your life. By them you will live long in the land you're crossing Jordan to possess. So it was a new era when Joshua was relying on the words he'd heard from God and were written down by Moses for him. And the first reference we came across for Joshua was when he went into battle to fight the Amalekites. And if you remember, he had to learn that actually the battle was the Lord's. And that when Moses had his hands up in abandonment towards God, there was victory. And when Moses didn't, there wasn't victory. And for a battle warrior, that was quite a big lesson. And how that affected his whole life and his whole attitude to how he then acted as a leader with the children of Israel. And I left a question at the end of the day saying, have you been true to the call of God on your life? Have you taken him and his word seriously? And it's an absolute privilege to pray for Tom, who's someone who we can see has taken God seriously and doing something about it. So, amen. Acting on the word, go for it. So what are we looking at today? I'm going to start by reading the first 11 verses of Joshua. Um, So if you want to find it in the Bible, do follow it through. Um, What I'm going to do is I'm then going to have a short sort of question thing, which everyone can participate in, and then a short intermission. And then I'm going to say a bit more, and then we'll have intermission intermission and some prayer. So I'm breaking it up a bit, because I'm told people can't concentrate for more than 40 seconds. Uh, 20 minutes, sorry. Um, So yes, that's, that's the way we're doing it this morning. Good. 
So this is Joshua chapter 1, and there's a whole 11 verses, so you love to keep your eyes open. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Here's an example of a person and a people who were of conviction, courage, and passion. (laughs) And I love it. Now, we're going to have a little quiz in a moment. If you can put up the first slide, and I'll just introduce it first of all. I just want to look back to what is the original covenant, this promised land that they were promised. And it goes right back, ooh, another 700 years or something like that. Um, Creation had gone wrong. There had been a huge flood to wipe out all the error that man had made. And then the people started to regenerate again, if you like. Um, Things were still going wrong. Mankind was disregarding God. But then we come across a remarkable man called Abraham or Abraham. And God spoke to him face to face and promised him something. And in Genesis 12, it says, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was quite a promise, wasn't it? There are many that believe today that Israel has a divine right to occupy a specific part of the globe. But I'm asking, since the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus... What is this inheritance or promised land? So is the kingdom of God about a geographical area? Would someone like to look up? Claire, do you mind looking up this verse? If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. 
Okay. Now, I'm not going to attempt, because Steve Painter's here, I'm not going to attempt going into, uh, you know, does Israel have a land and all that stuff. I'm just not going there. Uh, But it's interesting that Jesus clearly did not go down that route. And in fact, when they tried to make him a king, he disappeared off the scene. He avoided it. And so my next question, if we can have the next slide, is what for us then is our inheritance, the promised land? Now that little map there is what some people think is what Israel is due to have. It's a huge area and it causes a lot of trouble. Okay, so I've got some suggested scriptures. So if we can have the next slide. Now there's a six there. So I would quite like it if just um, groups of us could look those up. So if we can allocate ourselves into six groups. Take a minute just to look it up. Give it a quick thought. If you want to talk to someone about it, that's fine. And let's just look at what it says. Okay, would anyone like to read out the Psalm 105 section? For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had told for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Indeed. I thought what was interesting here is, why did they have this land in this promise? It's so they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Okay, the next section, Luke 1. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Okay, again, the question, the why. Why this promise? To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Great. Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay. There's the promise of the Spirit here. And this statement, if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That doesn't mean we all bomb over to Palestine, does it? (laughs) Okay. It means that we can live in holiness and righteousness before him all our days which is wonderful. Okay, Acts 2 section. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, 
and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God, the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Okay. Uh, to Peter. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And finally, the 1 John section. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Great. Okay. It seems then that these promises, this inheritance, being heirs of something, is not to do with land now. It's to do with being part of God's purposes. It's being able to partake the divine nature. It's being able to live in a world and yet be free of its corruption and its sins. That's all part of this promise, this inheritance of of ours. That now it was just one nation, but God's thrown the door open. Just Abraham was there to bless the whole world, and now God has intervened and said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bless the whole world. Gentiles like us, if you like, who weren't born Israelites. It's now open to all of us to have a relationship with God and to be able to live before him in holiness and righteousness. That's incredible, isn't it? It's just amazing. And we can't do it without the promise of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So it's no longer about law. It's about gift. And it's all God's work. Okay, next slide. Who or what then are our enemies? So if there's a promised land, there's two things to think about. If there's a promised land, then presumably there's a land that's not of promise. So there is a place where actually you don't know the promises of God. You're without God. And that's very clear from Scripture. And also if there's a promised land, uh, there are enemies. That's what it seems to be from Scripture. So who are enemies today? Uh, I was stuck on this completely. So I did some weeding in the garden and I thought, here's my enemy, ground elder. <laughs> Actually, you can learn a lot doing gardening. It really is an enemy. It doesn't matter how hard you try, if you leave a little bit of root, it comes up again. And actually, amazing, isn't it, that life's like that. But God enables us to triumph over our enemies. And they're continually there. Good. Okay, so the parable of the sower. Um, I didn't know what, to, what it was, so I said to Chris, oh, I'm trying battling with this. Who are our enemies? Where's the scripture that says these are your enemies? Um, and there are lots, actually, but they're kind of in different ways. And she said, well, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, isn't it? I thought, oh, yeah, so it is. I suppose it is, really, yeah. <laughs> Not just ground elder, yeah. And actually, uh, so I looked that up and thought, where does that come in scripture then? Uh, so the wonders of Wikipedia tell you that uh, historically that's been said that it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, but it comes from the parable of the sower, which is really interesting, isn't it? It talks about Satan taking the seed. It talks about the care of this world and riches choking the seed. And it talks about falling on stony ground, so when persecution or trouble comes, you don't grow. And they're our enemies. They're my enemy. So even though we have these great words 
that encourage us to be in an inheritance. We have enemies, which is why God's given us so much authority and energy to be able to fight them, if you like. And there's a scripture there from Ephesians 3. So you were dead through trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of the flesh and senses. Next slide. Paul's great cry in Romans. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Good. Now this is time for an intermission. Do you want an intermission? Yes and no? Okay. Well, think about that. Talk to someone about it or just be quiet and consider. Okay? What can you consider? What essential promise have we read about that is relevant for you at this time? Okay, I'm going to uh, tell the story of Joshua, chapters 1 to 4 in a minute. But before then, I'm just going to read a bit from the message from 2 Corinthians, which someone quoted to me this week. And I just want you to listen to the passion in it. This was written by Paul, the apostle, writing to this church in Corinth. Just listen to it. Companions, we're in this work with you. We beg you. Please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life God's given us. God reminds us, I heard your call in the nick of time. The day you needed me, I was there to help. Which is what we heard in Deuteronomy 32, if you remember. Paul continues, well, now is the right time to listen, the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late, throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our post, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed and mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, with a pure heart, clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness and honest love, when we're telling the truth and when God's showing his power and when we're doing our best setting things right. When we're praised and when we're blamed, slandered and honored, true to our word, though distrusted, ignored by the world, but recognized by God, terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die, immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts, yet enriching many, having nothing, having it all. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallest you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly. Live expansively. Oh, God, I love the passion. (laughs) Hallelujah. And that's what God's story is all about. You find it's full of passion. And that's why I like the book of Joshua, because it's God's 
story. So I'm going to talk you through the first three or four chapters. If you're unfamiliar with the story, please forgive me. Do read it another time. Um, But if you've got a Bible, don't follow it with me. The date's around 1400 BC-ish. We've already read the first chapter, the first 11 verses. And one thing I know is an urgency. Get ready to cross the Jordan River that I'm about to give them, the Israelites. You'd think, wouldn't you? Moses has just died. Joshua's now kind of, whoa, help. And God says, no, hang around now. Come on, get on with it. You may not feel like it, but get on with it. There's an urgency. And I do believe there's an urgency in these days. I've said it before, I'll say it again. There is an urgency in these days. The world's in a mess. And people need hope. And we have access to hope. There's an urgency. And God speaks directly to Joshua in verses 3 to 5. I will give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's a tremendous promise. And in verse 7 comes the responsibility. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right, to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do everything written on it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Keep it on your lips. Eat it. Speak it. Drink it. Love it. This word of God. And three times God tells Joshua, be strong and very courageous. And he also says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Well, I need that. (laughs) Don't we all? And thank God he knows what we're like. But I'm sure that part of the message of Joshua is saying to his church, be strong, be courageous. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Because I know you will be. Chapter 2, Joshua sends two spies to look over the land, especially Jericho, because it was a fortress city. Joshua has no strategy, as far as we know, to take Jericho. Not surprisingly, it was almost an impossible place to take. But he did have the word of God. It was dangerous, mind. If they could get over this river, they'd then have the river behind them and a fortress in front of them. Dangerous strategy without a better plan. But he did have the word of God. The spies find this prostitute, Rahab, who hides them. And in uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, it's just amazing to hear what this prostitute says. Bear in mind, she's a pagan, brought up in a pagan environment, and she's a prostitute. I know the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihel and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. We've heard of it. Our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is God in heaven above. And on the earth below. What a statement. It's interesting. It seems to me she had more faith than most of the children of Israel. 
And I've been blown away this week. I've heard three stories of people who've just come off the street and walked into churches, three different churches in Bristol, saying, I need help. God's speaking to me. Tell me about him. Amazing. Someone who'd had, well, they've all had terrible backgrounds. I can't share them. I don't want to share them. But God seems to be at work amongst people out there. And we're the ones who are faffing about, if I can put it like that. And may we find our Rahabs who are searching for truth and say, your God is God in heaven, above, and on all the earth below. I'm staggered. I think God is doing something in the world around us. Well, I'm convinced he is. The stories I hear. I heard these because I went to a little uh, a le- a meeting of leaders, church leaders, and they were blown away. They were really emotional about it, saying, we couldn't believe it. This person came off the street and said, I think I need to be baptized. I'm really sorry for my life. Help. I want to give my life to Christ. Tell me about him. <laughs> Wonderful. Hallelujah. They strike a deal with, with uh, Rahab, as you know. Yeah, oh, great. I'm also just reminded, thinking of this, this series over the summer when Marky did Jonah. Isn't it wonderful? Wonderful how God loves everyone. <laughs> and that Jonah, the reluctant prophet, went to a nation that seemed to hate God and discovered that actually they turned and God embraced them. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. Chapter 3. Early in the morning, that's a bad start. (laughs) Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to Jordan where they camped before the crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, which is just over half a mile, between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This story amazes me. I absolutely love it. Because it speaks of God doing wonderful, mind-blowing, crazy salvation things. I love it. All previous efforts to teach mankind God's ways had failed. And now they're about to enter this promised land after over 400 years in slavery. Generations in slavery. Think about it. But the root of the record in Joshua and in this chapter is that Canaan is not conquered by Joshua's superiority, his strategy, his heroism, his intelligence, But the Lord gives them the land. Joshua is a highly valued human agent. But as we learned 40 years ago when fighting the Amalekites, the battle is the Lord's. God is the hero of this book. It's called the book of Joshua. But it's the book of God using Joshua. He's the central character. God is. He's the mover. He's the shaker, he's the initiator, he's the power. 
Listen up, church. God's the mover, the shaker, the initiator, and the power. All they had to do was keep their eyes on the ark and follow it, because they hadn't been that way before. It's as if God was saying, I am the way, follow me. And it was the third day. I think this is a great prophetic enactment of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That's what I believe it is. Take it home and read it. See if you spot it. There's so many things. It's the third day. I'm the way. The river Jordan speaks of death. There's just masses of it. So what is going on here? It's looking forward to a promised land for all mankind. There's a parable being unwrapped for us here if we can see it. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, God's presence himself, is going to go into Jordan ahead of you, just like Jesus did. And then in verse 10 it says, This is how you will know the living God's among you, and he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. In other words, because of this event, you will know that you can live in this land, in this inheritance. You will know that your enemies need not triumph over you because of this event. It was full flood. It was risky. I don't know, but it must have been odd, wasn't it, for these priests to be standing, holding this ark of God, this precious presence of God, and going into a river in full flood. What if they tripped? What if they fell over? What if their feet got stuck in the mud? How is it going to happen? I mean, think of the reality. That's what it was like, wasn't it? What if God didn't succeed? What if Jesus never rose from the dead? What if when he died on the cross, that was it? It was risky, and we were watching from a distance. Yet as soon as the priest's feet touched the water's edge, the water stopped flowing and piled up miles away at Adam. And they all crossed over right opposite Jericho. God staying in the middle till every one of them was over. And then before the ark was taken up from the riverbed, a representative of every tribe had to go and take a great boulder from the river and carry it to the shore and say, This came from the river that dried up when God broke through into the promised land for us. We'll set it up as a memorial at a place called Gilgal, which means the rolling away. It was to be a sign to tell their children, look at this rock. That came out of there, the place of death. Chapter 5 starts like this. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage. Or as it says in other versions, they no more had any spirit in them to face the Israelites. Something happened on the cross and through the resurrection that disempowered our enemies. That disempowered the devil, that disempowered evil. It's amazing, isn't it? Because God did it. 
Then they ate the Passover. What a memorial was that? And the manna stopped. God's sovereign goodness is just amazing. Who's the hero? The Lord your God dried up Jordan, it says in chapter 4, verse 23. The Lord your God did this so that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. A week passed. They looked back. The river was flowing. The sun was shining. They were pitching their tents, cooking food. Was anything different? Had anything really changed? Was God really real? Did he really do that? Well, there were three things that said he did. One was, they were on the other side of the river. (laughs) How on earth did I get here if God hadn't done it? When you receive the spirit of life within you, there's something in you that's always there to witness. I've got doubts. Archbishop Welby said, sometimes I have doubts. Bless him. We all do. But something in you says, yeah, but I would never be here if it wasn't for God. Isn't that true? For your life and mine? (laughs) That was the first thing. Secondly, there were these 12 stones. There was this memorial. There was this, well, we took these stones out. We did it. (laughs) They were in the river. That's why they're so rounded, because they're eroded by the water. And thirdly, our enemies have got no spirit in them anymore. Three evidences of God's work. But there was Jericho ahead. They still had to defeat it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he brings on this great argument about if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, where would we be? If there's no resurrection, then not even Christ is raised. And if Christ isn't raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ isn't raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. And all those who've died are lost. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all people most to be pitied. But later on in the chapter he says this, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This story in Joshua just tells me eternity has been blasted open by God. He's rent heaven to say, come on in, all nations. The promise is fulfilled. What I promised thousands of years ago to Abraham, that I want to bless all the nations of the world. It's open. The cross did it all. Death is vanquished. That's why we're here today, isn't it? So because of that, all these promises we read earlier on are true. The promises of 2 Peter, that we can live in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. That we can partake of the divine nature. That we can have a relationship with God, our creator. It's all true. That's the promises.